out here in the perimeter, there are no stars. Out here, we is stoned, immaculate. Hello, and welcome to the C86 Show. I'm David Eastall. I'll be with you for the next hour. As you know, we love a special guest this week. It is going to be the turn of Jean Loves Jezebel, because I spoke to Michael... Aston to find out more about life, love, poetry, and just being in a band. This is the interview. Um, yes, it's a fascinating little tale. The wonders of being in a band. Anyway, and brotherly love. Enjoy. I think you will. Um, that's all I've got to say. Yes, I suppose we spent a few minutes kind of getting to know each other, as you do in the world of showbiz. And also, this is on a mobile, so the quality does go in and out slightly. But stick with it. I think you'll enjoy it. It's a fascinating story. Anyway, make notes. I will test you at the end. Enjoy. Michael, it's over to you. Well, when I was a kid, when I was 11 or 12, I was listening to Bed Jackson, Biggie Stardust, Alice Cooper, um, Alex Harvey, all which led its way into the more kind of glammy thing and the punk rock thing. Yes. I would be listening to uh, probably Talking Heads, uh, I'd say uh, Public Image, it really influenced me. I thought they were a great band. I, I wasn't into punk rock at all in the slightest. Yes. So, <laughs> uh, but I like Roxy Music, for example, or... Uh, you know, you know, what the hoop balls and yes. And did you sort of? I, like did, I was going to say, did the sort of the kind of glam, the end world, a bit of the glam world? Did that sort of and Bowie and people like that? Did they have an influence on you? Uh, a little, but more, I would say, I would say visually. You know, um, I mean, musically, you, you won't find a trace of Bowie in anything I've ever done. But uh, what I admired his attitude and uh, how he how he approached music and. Uh, I think with I mean I bought into the, uh, the you know the ethos you know uh, being as original as you could and you know t- trying to you know t- determine something of your own that that's what I drew from those artists from people yes. like David Byrne and uh, Leiden and Bowie and uh, Ian Hunter and uh, I was always into sing- singers and uh, but I mean I, I I was never dancing along to T Rex you know <laughs> no. Um, and what about, I mean, when when did you sort of make that kind of moment? Because obviously not many people do it, a small percentage, but, you know, decide that you were, you know, music was going to all at least form a band. When did that sort of come about? I was, uh, interesting story. I mean, I was uh, married when I was 18. I got my first wife pregnant. Uh, she was an artist and uh, I was working in a steel mill. It was a Thatcher era. Um, so she was a play. She was very academic and very talented, anyway, as an artist and a fashion designer. So our dream was to get out of Wales. To be quite honest with you, I have no romanticism uh, of that era. To be honest. It was something we, I desperately wanted to escape. I'd met a, a really interesting woman, and uh, she got accepted at a bunch of universities, Manchester, Warwick, but she wanted to go to art school, so she elected to go to St Martin's School of Art. So. I was made redundant by Thatcher and left with a couple of thousand pounds, which in those days was a considerable amount of money. And we elected to change our lives. We took our little, you know, our three-year-old, or whatever it was, four-year-old, Pimlico in London. And uh, 
she went to school and our lives changed uh, forever. I mean, that was the, uh, the huge turning point. Yes. Irony. That is Thatcher. Thatcher, Thatcher and, and art. Yes, <laughs> absolutely. Yes. But the, she actually set me free. So, but I think we would have gone anyway, but it helped that I'd worked in a mill for eight years. Yeah. So was, I was 16. I was, tw- I was 22. And uh, 22, all I ever wanted to do was sing in a rock and roll band. Yeah. Also, I was a really good soccer player, too. I could have gone into play soccer, but uh, I'm tired of hanging out with 11 morons. You know, so. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's funny because I, 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 I loved playing football, but I loved it was Johan Cruyff and George Best. I, I thought, oh, my, he's my favorite player. Yes. Johan Cruyff was my inspiration. Uh, yes. And that, so I that, played that more of a, a goal poacher. I scored a hell of a lot of goals. Um, Basically, waiting around the six-yard box was my job, my gig. Yes. <laughs> I guess it was more Gert Muller was the sort of the, the, the sort of the, the guy oh, in the six-yard box. He was the man. I remember. Who... In, I mean, you're probably too young, but I remember was it the seventy World Cup when England were up two 0 and uh, Muller scored the winning goal. Yes, I slightly missed I that. You. My World Cup yeah. was nineteen. I can remember nineteen seventy-six barely. And my my brother jumping through the roof, my eldest brother, who was eight years older than me. Right. And I would have been someone like nine or, nine or something, not understanding the game or the importance yes. beyond it on our little black and white TV things we were playing. So. Well, absolutely. Yeah. I think for for me, it was kind of um, the 1974 was my year, that World Cup. Your one, yeah, yeah. And yeah, that, that was, was a great World Cup. Holland that, were the best team. Oh, my God, they were beautiful. Yeah. And I think that's why my favourite colour... My favourite colour has always been orange ever since um, because of Johan yeah, Cruyff, yeah. really. But it was easy. Absolutely. So, so during that kind of then the period, because because a lot of the bands that I've interviewed from that, you know, the especially the indie eighties or the post punk period. I mean, there was a huge amount of unemployment, so there was a lot of people who were just kind of just went on the dole, and there was a job seekers allowance and the enterprise allowance, which gave a lot of people. Right. You know, if you had a thousand pound in the account, you could become part of that enterprise allowance, which gave you a year to sort of be a self-employed anything. So that well, I missed kind of... all that. Well, for me, my my uh, my year is a tiny bit earlier than that. You know, we're talking late seventies, early eighties. Yes. And I was let go of the steel mill, and they had to pay me for a year of my life because I'd worked eight years in the steel mill. <laughs> so I set up to, you know, pursue the dream. Plus, my wife had a grant. Nice for college, so I was in three, three sweet in a great position, you know. Yeah, so Which then, is weird now. I have five kids, and they're, and they're all scholars, but they essentially have to live at home because of the, you know the, the financial situation in this world at the moment. You know, but that's another that's another conversation. That's another. That's a whole yes, I know, I know. Bizarrely, <laughs> sort of looking back at the eighties, I do remember. You know, in all honesty, a lot of us did sort of moan a lot and now I look back and think, God, there were so many of you know, some you know, actually there was like unemployment, house you know, job seekers allowance and you know, you got your sort of right. you got housing benefit and then you got get a grant and get paid to be a student and um Oh but, no, it, it was a relative ideal, right? It was a it was an amazing time. Yes. So I then, remember moving to London and London properties were cheap, rents were cheap, uh, it was dilapidated, uh Beautifully dilapidated, you know, Chelsea, Pimlico. Yes, well, absolutely. And That's where uh, I lived. I mean, I lived in Eden Square for a year. Think about that, you know. Yes, you wouldn't do that now, would you? You could have man. I know. Can you believe that? Yes, well, that's quite... <laughs> that's like, and, there, and there's a lot of bands who, or a lot of people who went 
down to London from other parts of the country and we're just living in squats and cheap places. A lot of the Australian bands and New Zealand bands sort of knew that they had to get out of their sort of respective countries and come to London and just all lived in the same sort of homes and squats as everybody else. So that, you know, like members of the... Everybody seemed to live with... Even the stone style of the New Year's Grove, one shelter, it was like all them living in. Yes. So when... Because with most... A lot of bands that I've done, you know, because it is that kind of the 80s period, I suppose, more than anything, you know, they have normally a five-year narrative of, you know, like... Being together for about a year, John, you know, getting a single together, which was a bit quirky, John Peel playing it. Then they got a John Peel session and uh, that gave them the first album and also gave them, you know, because they were the gatekeepers, you know, John Peel, the NME, Melody Maker. So there was like all all these kind of and little venues all over the country and in every every city and town had a indie night or a sort of, yeah, indie night alternative, you know, so people could get, you know, gigs far and wide and not only playing in front of people they yeah. knew but you know well to... peel, peel didn't peel didn't uh didn't introduce us to the world we we played our first show and we got a great review in the in the melody mix right so you were there um i met a demo i met a demo which made which actually became the record um which i should if i had been wiser we actually own that material but we know you know you know how it is when you're young and yes ignorant um but yeah but peel Discovered it uh, through John Cale. John Cale saw us this, uh, this very same show at the ICA. Used to do this uh, alternative night where they they do a two or three nights of music, and it would be all the bands that the ICA, which uh, you know what the ICA is, right? Yes. Into do contemporary art. It's on the mall. It's right down the street from there. That's Buckingham right. Palace. It's a famous left left wing radical. Hotbed. Um, we did that. Kale saw us. He wanted to produce us. Um, went to New York to record with Kale, uh, which was an, I mean, I have a book here. So we were discovered. I mean, but uh, we didn't tour that much. And when we played, we played to a thousand people. So all over the country, Manchester University, London University. Yes. But, uh, we went. We went in it for the money. We, we in fact, it was post-punk, and we were reluctant to. Too very much because they, they, I can remember shows where people were still spitting, thinking that was kind of rock. And but uh, a couple of cute, you know, a duo with, that, that were essentially quite beautiful and makeup and lipstick and mascara and crimpers and silks and satins. Uh, these places would be packed, but there'd be a few people who would just make life very miserable. So we didn't do it terribly much. Yeah. Not because, which was a shame because we were actually you know, visually certainly interesting, you know. I mean, that was my manifesto for the band. We wouldn't be like any other band. We wouldn't have straight songs. We'd have themes, six, five, six, seven themes. Yeah, yeah. And every night would be different. And there was just a... That was, that was the origin of Genos Jezebel. It became, funnily enough, uh, far more um, controlled and uh, it became very song-orientated. We, you know, we, we retained perpetuated a certain quirk but uh, it became less and less and that's when it all went to hell really when we my brother and I would fight over he, he wanted to write a basic love song which me always needed to be statements you know something away from it's the songs that are, those songs are already been written you know um, yes. so I always imagine Jim's jazz would be uh, just more you know more, more interesting you know, more quirky more left field more progressive 
Yes. Uh, we had the twins, which was pretty amazing. No one, no other band had that. We both sang. Both had different ranges. So it was actually a match made in heaven. Ultimately uh, became a match made in hell. But <laughs> <laughs> yes. Well, that's you know, these things, these things. But then, you know. But the, yeah, but, of course. I mean, adults, adults being in the same room, four or five adults, and expecting them to uh, be, you know, Remain friends is impossible. A man and a woman can't do it. They're alone four grown men, you know. I know. And even with a woman bass player, Julianne Regan. Yeah, with Julianne. Yeah, 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 yeah. Yes. But we got rid of her, so she didn't leave the band. Um, I can't remember why that happened, because we were supposed to go to New York for the John Cale thing. And, uh, I mean, for some reason, we were under the impression that she was you know, doing something she might not, she shouldn't have been doing. I don't know if that's true, but we took that as a, a gospel, you know. So, but she was meant to come to New York with us, which I wish we had then. Yeah, yeah. Because you got to remember, we didn't, we didn't do any drugs. We we barely drank. We'd been on the dough. We, you know, I think the most thing we drank coffee. <laughs> couldn't ever understand why we couldn't sleep. But uh, the most we ever drank was, you know, a few beers. But we, we were lightweight. And, uh, we were terrified of drugs. Yes, and you were on situation. Si- huh? And you were on situation two records, which was quite sort of famed for sort of that. I suppose you got sort of slightly slipped into that world that is referred to as goth. Did you find that quite limiting? Uh, well, I, well, to me, Led Zeppelin were goth, and the Doors were goth, but the goth that they were presenting to us was, you know, using the banshees. Um, so we didn't like the label, not because it was particularly offensive. It's just that they, in the day, you know, the likes of the enemy and Melody Megan Stones would bury you with it, you know. Because yes. this this year, it's, you know, you're, you're postmodernist. You know, next year, it's uh, agiprop. Next year. So we were frightened of being, you know, the, the way, once the wave had fallen onto the next thing, which is what they were up to, you know. So we, we just thought it was limiting, you know. Yeah, there were elements of goth to us, but no question about it. We had black hair, mascara. Our songs were, um, you know, far more diverse than that. We're certainly never. I've never. I don't think we ever sang a song, you know, embracing, you know, uh, about a Lugosi or you know, or the goth <laughs> that they thought it was, you know. Alien sex theme. Because at the same time, I remember that particular period, John Peel started, you know, championing a lot of Welsh bands because there was one especially called Daft Bloggy. Um, so did you, when when you moved away from, your, you know, the home, I mean, was you just kind of, was was your art sort of not really, you know, you weren't sort of particularly tied down to any particular country. You were just kind of free spirits. No, not at all, no. Definitely free spirits. And also... I mean, we were fortunate between me, between Thatcher giving, you know, giving me the, the redundancy, uh, my wife going to St. Martin. At the time, there were no Welsh bands. I mean, the, 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 the English press didn't give a fuck about Wales at all. So it seemed, uh, we had no choice but to go to London. At least there we could be seen. It's, it's a relatively small town. Yeah. Limited amount of venues, and would be far easier to uh, make an impression. I, they were never going to come down to fucking put calling Wales or Cardiff. No. At that time, I mean, they, they were. I mean, they they were absolutely very rude about the Welsh and Wales in in particular. Yes. 
So we, 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 we definitely felt there was a, a bias or a prejudice. So, so we thought, wow, we're going to have to go, we're going to have to go to London. Yes. Best move I ever made. I loved London. I miss it to this day. I wish I'd never left it. Yeah. But, you know, when you did your John Peel session, though, did you feel quite excited, the first one, because you did too? Because that was produced by yeah. the one and only Dale Griffin, who was the Mott the Hoople right. drum, drummer. So That's can you right. remember much yeah. about being at Maidavale for I that? I can remember a lot about it. One, we were extremely nervous, because despite our appearance, we had massive inferiority complex. Um, we didn't think anyone would give us the time of day. So when that when the, when the uh, offer came, we were like beside. It was, it was uh, like being called up for your national team. It was like wow. So we went in there, and uh, he did an amazing job. Um, uh, the force t- at the time we'd been playing together for a while. It might have been six, seven months. Who knows what? So we knew exactly what we were doing. Um, uh, and it, it's it's an amazing session. I mean, that, it, it's an amazing session. You know, um, everything worked. It was all done in one day. Yes. Then started, they called us back and uh, to do another session. But at this time, we were in uh, absolute turmoil. My brother had fired the guitar player, and the guitar player had fired the bass player. So we walked into there with basically three players and no songs. And so, but we, we try. I tried to. I begged uh, beggars banquet to. You know, not for us, for us not to do this because we were not ready. But they insisted, you know, you have to do it. You can't turn down the BBC. Of course, it was an absolute disaster. So, yes. Um, yeah, I mean, I, you have to learn to say no. You know, I mean, because I, it, it couldn't have gone any worse. Yeah. Um, half a band, no songs, just basically ad libbing, hoping we could get away with it because it had been so. Uh, such a joy the first time and such a success and uh, like you say oh, that was such a great job um, <laughs> yeah uh, so because so were you you're okay. you're, you're, sorry I was going to say because sorry. because in your you know a bit like bands like the Smiths and I suppose there were quite a lot you know I remember people like the June Brides and Go-Betweens that that kind of their period during the 80s, and I suppose it's the same with the Stones in the 60s and the Beatles. I mean, incredibly prolific amount of output and also some incredible songs. I mean, again, you know, the 80s for you, you know, you were sort of 24-7 releasing records, weren't you? You know, you did, you know, from Promise to Immigrant to Discover, Glad to Be yeah. Alive. Well, the weird thing about the 80s is that I'm in America now and people talk about the 80s and the same in England, I suppose. The most valid part of the 80s was... was the more alternative, you know, like you say, from the Smith, the go between, you know, the birthday party, blah, blah, blah. But people think of that era like, oh, it, it was the pop. They think of, you know, Boy George or fucking Adam Ant or all that pop garbage, you know. Yes. I mean, relatively speaking, it wasn't interesting music. It was basically silly, but it was pantomime music. You know? Yes. Well, I suppose, um, I suppose. With I mean, the... not, not bad. I'm not knocking it, but it's not. What was really going on was going on. <laughs> it, was, uh, it was not something that was on top of the pops. You know? yes. There were so many bands that were, were really brilliant and had huge, huge influence. You know? It's like the 70s. I mean, no, the late 70s. I mean, the Velvet Underground, you could argue, had more influence than yes. you know, the, the, the major acts of the time. Yeah. You know? So, so as, you, as you were sort of trucking through the, the sort of that exciting period of, of kind of releasing 
quite a lot of albums. I mean, were you pleased with the first one, Promise? Was that one that you felt was the essence of the band? Did it did it capture you? Well, I think uh, this is what's weird about. Pro- I, I think Promise is a really great record. I think it's really original, and uh, you'll find it devoid of guitar solos, for example. Those are decisions that I made. That was a manifesto. No, no, we're not just going to make a rock and roll record. Um, it's 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 eerie, it's deep, it's uh, it's it's uh, anxious, it's liberating, it's ecstatic. It, 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 I mean, it goes to the whole canvas. But what we did wrong is that we made the singles like "Screaming for Emily" and "The Original Breezes." We re- we re-recorded them, which was a folly. We didn't need to do that for some reason at the time. Which it was. Uh, the way to go, which uh, that's my only regret. Not saying that, that those versions aren't great, but if you listen to Screaming for Emily in the singles or bruises before, next to the album versions, they're, enti- they're entirely different. Different players. Um, so, and then Immigrant's my favorite record. That's the next record. And I think it all started to go to hell when we discovered but That's another story. Yes. And that was. That was... The first two are my favorite records. Yeah, I think they were. They were uh, Yes, it's quite, quite amazing records, you know, know. all things considered. But also, but you by then had started to develop a huge fan base. I mean, you know, like you said, you sort of were, you know, like a lot of bands have to sort of struggle for quite a few years to sort of get that following. But you got it very quickly. But then quickly, you, yeah, overnight, overnight, overnight. Yeah. Yes. But then as as the decade went on and, and what I found with a lot of bands was that around that eighty seven time, you know, there was that was when the Smiths had sort of imploded badly and a lot of, you know, those right. other indie bands were sort of going to the wall in a way. I suppose most bands have five years, they have that, you know, the first album right. things are going. I would good. say four. I mean Yeah. I yeah, think I'd, I'd say four, but I'll give you five. Yes. <laughs> it's fine. It's probably <laughs> it's, it's, it's probably it's probably it's, all you can. it's probably four four <laughs> years and eight months and then it all starts going, doesn't it? <laughs> it probably doesn't it, you yeah. know and three days. Yeah. But because it's yeah. often after the second album when things aren't great and if any band well right. I found it ever tours America they often say and then we toured America we came back and we split up and I think because America seems to sort of destroy a lot of bands I don't know why well they've told I was was a little different because uh, one my brother and I are very creative uh, so creative that we fight each other to get songs on the record you know Um, (laughs) so there's always a lot of material there was a beauty in the conflict and the beauty in the twins uh, our downfall, in my opinion, well, it wasn't really a downfall. We still went on for a few years. Um, was losing our guitar player. He had a nervous breakdown. Um, and then he had to be replaced. We were touring, and so I called up the only guitar player I'd ever seen. I went to see a guy called Steve New, but he looked like a busted case. And there was another gu- guitar player playing. He seemed to be, I, I thought he can go through it too. But he was never, at least what I, what I would perceive as a Jim of Jazz or guitar player. Very much fit into my brother's kind of uh, uh, room, you know, very straight ahead, simple songs, you know. Yeah, yeah. Fleetwood Mac, Fleetwood Mac meets Kim Wilde, you know. Um, so we lost that that, that uh, edge, in my opinion. Yeah. Um, but that's, that's chemistry and that's life. I mean, I have no, nothing, I, I, I can't bring that guy back. He, he's never been back ever since Ian. So. Right. He's a guy that... Uh, He's the guy that walked up to me in Boots Chemist and Port Call and said, can I join your band? Right. Not realizing I didn't even have a band. So I said, sure you can. You got any gear? And that's how, how, how it began. We began the Slav- Slavarian. We didn't change the name. 
79. We changed the name probably, uh, would have been 81, 82, 83. So the band actually dates back to 79. Right. And this is Ian, and you're talking about Ian Hudson here, aren't you? The... Ian Hudson, yes. yes. Yeah, Ian Hudson, yeah. So is he, what, did you feel like he was one of the, you know, a bit like the Johnny Marr of the Smiths? Did he have the essence that made it special? Yeah, he did, yeah. 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 Yes. You couldn't, you couldn't really picture what he was saying or what he was doing. Uh, it's an interesting story because he used to work with his dad, who was a milkman, and he, uh, he fell on a glass, one of the milk bottles, and he lost the use of, I think, at least one of his fingers. And that was the beginning of his guitar style. That's what made him a, <laughs> such a, a, an unusual guitar player. He was basically playing the three fingers, you know. Right. Um, a bit so like... everything was lent. He could he could not no longer play the court, you know, the big power chord things, you know. So okay. Became a, and what happened? Very, you know, and did you sort of find out or know what happened to Ian for the part rest of his life? Well, I've tried. I've tried so many times to contact. Um, uh, I failed every single time. Um, I've been to his Facebook page, and his, his uncle is still in Moss. Do you know who is still in Moss? Is? The race car driver, he's like a Formula One oh, yes. legend. <laughs> yeah. So Ian's name is Ian Moss Hudson. Oh. So I think on his mother's side. So so now I go to his Facebook pages last year and he's dressed up in, you know, Formula One gear, you know. Um, I've written to him, I try to call him, I've got friends get in touch with him, but but he's uh, I mean I think he's doing fine, but he's not he's not of this world, you know. He's a I well, last time I saw him, I think it was in the late 80s, he said, he said the most bizarre thing to me. He said, oh, I, you, you're now a jet set. I thought, what the fuck are you talking about? You you, you formed this band with me. <laughs> yeah. You know, you, you're, you're not in this band because we don't want you in the band, or I don't want you in the band. But he was so removed. as if he ne- We'd never, ever met. You know? Yes. Very weird. interesting. He's schizophrenic. Um, he, on our first, Tour here in '85. I had met a girl and I was staying in the, down in the village, but I had to go back to the hotel. And I arrived at the hotel and there's a bunch of police, fire engines, and I look up on the 16th floor. My fucking guitar player threatened to jump out the window, jump off the ledge. Um, we were in, we'd never been to America before. It was the most fascinating, wonderful experience of our lives. But it was uh, so we started with like a 10 day tour, which turned into a 50 day tour. But we had to get to the next stage, to Boston. We get, we get to Boston. We're all watching him 24-7. We don't know what he's going to do. He's threatening to suicide. He said, blah, blah, blah. So we're supposed to play a show in Providence, Rhode Island. So I knock on his door, and he's, he's cut his, his wrist open with a scissors. The manicure scissors. A pathetic attempt, but that was it. It was like, oh, you got to go home now, boy. <laughs> Then I called my manager in England. I said, remember that guitar player I saw in there when we went to check out Steve New? Can you ask him to come over just to get us through these couple of weeks? And that, that was the next stage of Genius. But all the songs we discovered, like Desires, Sweetest Thing, uh, had been written by Jay, myself, and Ian. Right. So James just came in there. And then the, then the direct, when we did House of Dolls, it just became a you know, more straightforward, cute, Early band, yeah. Um, the girls liked it. I can't complain too much. They were benefits, uh, but they did before, so it didn't matter. Yes. My side, yeah. 
Did you did you feel a bit broken hearted when you recorded the House of Dolls? I hated making that record. I thought it was a piece of shit. I'm gonna be quite honest with you. Um, I wrote most of the choruses on it. That's why I do in the band. I'm really good with choruses, great with melodies. We'd fight over lyrics because I tended to. I always wanted more depth. You know, to me, it had to be a, a, a real experience, or at least in some way, you know, a skew, confrontational. Yes. Uh, but I was up against, you know, doors and floors and baby, I love you thoughts, you know, and it was just, that wasn't where I was at. We were 27. We were too old to be writing crap like that, you know. Yeah. Um, I mean, people love those rights. Absolutely adore them. But for me to be that age, you know, it's like, it would be like starting with Sergeant Peppers and ending up with Love Me Do, you know. It's totally back to front. Oh, yeah, that's true. That's a good. That's a good way of putting yeah, it, actually. Yes. Yeah. Well, I, I could imagine. I mean, it's a bit like Dave. Yeah. It's interesting because I've always been obsessed with David Bowie. So, sort of seeing how he's, especially that seventies work. You know, that sort of sophistication and and sort of taking chance and experimentation is quite something. So when so when you sort of turned the decade into the nineties, did you feel like the only option was to sort of walk away from the band at that stage? Well, I, well, I had. A, I wasn't really walking. I was pushed out. You know. Um, I formed the band. Every member, that any member that's ever played in Gene of Jezebel, I brought them in or okayed it. I did the rehearsals. Yeah, that worked, that'll work. I made them all equal members. And it's my twin brother, but they conspired against me when we were making House of Dolls. There's a bunch of B-sides like Vagabond or whatever else, uh, you know, Bugs Bruises, which are better than anything on that record. But they, 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 they were, it was a concerted effort to push me out. Uh, and I remember fighting my brother. I said, well, if you don't like being in Gino's Jazz, let's form another fucking band. You know, what's the big deal? No, so, but they, they came up with this. We're all getting records too. You remember that was a huge label on big labels all around the world. So they figured out it would be a really good move to uh, push Michael out. You saw my twin brother pushing me out of my own fucking band. I was giving him my right arm. I made them all equal members. We shared everything. <laughs> Which I don't regret. I think that's the way to go anyway. Yeah, but I think my reward was was very unkind. So I said, "Fuck it, you want the band? You want the band? Go fall in your art, you know." So I went off. I went to Los Angeles. Um, did my solo records, my which I, I loved and was very proud of. Um, my brother's band went on to be dropped by Geffen and Vegas. Then uh, they went on to a Savage Records, and the sales were so bad, the label was bankrupt. That was the end of them. So then my brother came back to me to reform. So I'd already I made uh, Why Me my solo record, which is a beautiful record. I don't know if you've ever heard that. Yeah. Beautiful record. I was at one of the happiest times of my life. I was totally happy not being Gene Observer. He came back to me. Usual stuff, took my band, we demoed, played uh, uh, played shows, blah blah blah. Usual bullshit. He wants to bring the other guys back. I say, fuck you, off you go. Good luck to you. Nothing happens with that. Next time around, it's like 95. Uh, same thing. I've made Edith Grove. He takes my band. Demo. We get offered a deal. We go to Portugal. Same bullshit. Okay. I saw I say again. Fuck you. Off you go. Then in 97, same thing. Oh, let's reform Gina's Jazz. And I say, well, we're going to reform it. But this time, we're going to use new players. I don't want anything to do with any of those guys. Let's, uh, if we're going to do it, let's do it as the twins, the duo. No, I'd begun essentially. And uh, did that, we did it. We must have done months and months of dates. 
plaintiff will respect for trial. It might be 600,000, 500 a year, but respectable, House of Blues level, you know. Yeah. And, uh, then he get, got down on his knees and he begged me to use James Stevenson and Peter Rizzo again and Robin Adam. And I said, well, uh, haven't we been there before? No, he just begged me, begged me, begged me. And I said, okay, we'll do it. You know, we'll try, let's try and, you know, let's, Let's try and make good and heal whatever wounds there were. That was my attitude. Yes. Then you insist on using Robert Adam. I said, well, no, you're going to make it right. Chris Bell was the last guy that played, you know. Let's use him. So uh, I came down. But then the same thing happened again. I made the record. I got the record deal. I got the uh, funding of the agents. I saw it. Too. I did every fucking thing. And my wife helped me a great deal. too. Same thing happened. <laughs> I made the record. They took all my songs off it, all my backing vocals off. Um, uh, they set me up in a, a meeting where my brother broke my rib and threw me in a toolbox and told me he was going to destroy me and my beautiful family. I'm like, what the fuck is going on here? I didn't ask you to come back. Into- I was quite happy living my life. So, and then they've spent the last 20 years doing very, very little, if anything at all, and then pretending that they've been together for 40 years. And, uh, which is, anyone who's followed the band's history can see it's an absolute, you know, but you know, but full of good. It's a lie. It's a false narrative. Yes. And it's unfair to all the other early players. It's shameful. You know. I just want to say, guys, you failed. It's okay. You fucking failed. People want to see the twins. Big, get over it. And that's where we are right now. Yes. And and also, because, I mean, you know, I mean, I you know, to be honest, I haven't. I don't. I don't you know, I just kind of follow the music more than anything. But how do your parents? Cope? Exactly, of course they do. Who's so, but but oh, so, my but, parents are dead. Yeah, yeah. Oh right. Did they ever sort of see the the problem? What they must have been. They must. Have oh, been... they did. Yeah, my mum said. My mum. Well, my mum used to say to me in '97 when, when it all went to hell, and I said, "No, you can't do this anymore. I'm not carrying on as Gina Jezebel. So screw you." My mother said, "Oh well, Michael, you got to remember John, which is Jay's real name." I changed his name to Jay. He hated his name. Not much of a, a stretch, but hey, it's better than John, I guess. Uh, he said, "Well, you, John is jealous of you. You, you. You're married. You're beautiful children. You know, it's, it's, he's got nothing. He's never had a good woman. He's never had. That's all he has is the music." I said, "Mom, I gave it to him. You know, <laughs> you know, and I can't. I'm not responsible for his life. I gave him Gene Love Jezebel." Yes. 1989. I gave it to him. Now he's broken my rib. He's robbed me. He held my son. He was two years uh, on the day of his birth, 1987. Uh, just before it all went to hell, he looked like the fucking exorcist. And that's when they went about their business, you know, holding my son. He's got the same DNA. It's DNA. Is, DNA is that could be his son. Yes. You don't break it. You. So I went from. Giving up my solo career, which was doing fine, I've never not had a record deal, to rescuing my brother yet again. And he's going to leave me with everything I built, with a new son, not any way to pay my bills, you know, and then spend the next 20 years smearing, libeling, threatening. I mean, that's how I've been through for that miserable band, I swear to God. So, yes. But, there you are. I know. But then, you know, you do keep the flame going. I know there's, 
you know, the history of quite a few bands have said, you know, I don't know. I do, I do remember doing an interview with a member of Barclay James Harvest and there was like one one band called John Lee's Barclay James Harvest. I think they split it in the sense of someone, they, they kind of co-wrote a lot of the, no, they didn't co-write the songs. Some, one of them wrote songs and then the other person wrote songs. So they would only play their own songs, calling themselves Barkley James Harvest. So how does it work with your, with Jean Loves Jezebel? Because obviously it sounds like you were very much part of the song, writing the song. Well, no, if you could, if, I mean, on a purely legal matter, I wrote more songs than anyone, any member of that band. I, if you look at any of the quality breakdowns, I, I have the biggest, I have the most, because one, I wrote any song, any, I wrote anything I would write a chorus or a part or a verse in any of his songs. He wrote nothing in my songs. I'd give him the credit, but even even after all that, if you broke it down percentage-wise, those four albums and those singles, I'm, you would see that I wrote unsung most of the songs. But they've created this false narrative because they'll put up the videos after I left from Guessing, for example, or uh, uh, Savage Records. There might be four or five, like Jealous, Emotional Love. And the appearance is that, oh, Michael's, He's just singing back up here. But I sang everything for the first three albums. The fact we didn't make videos in those days is, is a shame. But if you actually do, you know, you actually break it down, my role is massive. I did all the artwork, for God's sake. Yeah. <laughs> I did a lot, a hell of a lot. I formed the band. It's my money that made the band. You know, it's me that brought my brother into it. He was working in Sony in Bridgend, a TV inspector. He was, I didn't even need him. I brought him in because I loved him. And I knew he was talented. He is. But his talent is limited. You know, he cannot write a lyric to save his life. You know, that's his big weakness. He's not very good on choruses. So. And that was born out if you listen to the last records they made, you know. Yes. And did you... But anyway... It's a tricky one. Sorry. Did you, I was just going to say, you know, because obviously vocally, you know, the band are quite exceptional. When did you kind of discover... Your voice, you know, is, is as a singer, you know, there must be a moment where you think, God, that's... Well, that's... it was... Uh, well, I would I would be in the school choir to begin with. Um, so I knew I could sing, because they, you couldn't make the school choir unless you could. Uh, but they would basically... You'd have to... My brother had to do it. I had to do it. Every student, you know, had to do it. Where, you know, you'd, you'd sing Bread from Heaven or what it would be. Or it was a Catholic school. You know, Ave Maria, God knows what it was, you know. Yes. Gloria in excelsis Deo. And uh, so they accepted me for the choir, but they rejected him. Bam, movement number one, you know. So he's, he's had this life of uh, we're twins, you know. Yes. So he's always in the secondary role, you know. Doesn't matter. Who cares if you're in the choir or not? I was a great soccer player. He couldn't play to save his life, you know. I always was, uh, I'm doing an interview with a gentleman in England, Michael. That's my nine-year-old son. I'll see what I'm doing. Um, <laughs> so, I mean, I can understand all his resentment, you know. But yeah. over Genius, yeah, well, it's a fucking rock and roll band. Nothing more than that, you know. Yes. No one is anything more than that, you know. It's all oils and acrylics at the end of the day, you know. And do your fans... I mean, that must be difficult, you know. I mean, in, in a lot of ways, having two bands that are split... Like you, you know, do do, do well, I worked really hard for twenty years. Here's the weird thing. My fans are all very nice people. There's no bitterness, there's no pain, there's no anger, there's no 
hedge funds will go out of their way to, you know, absolutely destroy and annihilate me, you know, smear me. But the funds, if you go to any my Facebook page, you'll never hear any, see anything vicious about my brother or anything. Yes. But on their side, their narrative is Michael's a criminal. He's a lecturer. He's a you know, blah, blah, blah. It goes on and on and on. I'm not, I'm not a wretched human being that's ever been born, you know. And they believe that narrative. And they, there's not a cut. They're like Trump supporters, you know. Let's put it that way. You know? so, <laughs> I'm the kid in the cage on the border, you know. Right. God, that is tricky, isn't it? Yeah. I know that uh, Liberace yeah. and Elvis were both twins, weren't they? Sort yeah, of, but this, Elvis has been died. Yes. But then, I mean, you know, sort of keeping it, you know, because obviously I, I, I did sort of a few years ago read Morrissey's book about, you know, like the court case with the Smiths, which it sounded actually, you know, though, I, you know, Morrissey hasn't turned out to be the person I'd love. But I mean, I did love the Smiths and, right. and, and sort of reading that court case, you know, it did sound quite horrendous and it, it must have emotionally sort of drained him as well as financially. How did how did you cope with going through sort of that kind of legal process? Well, it was awful because I, I put them back together. I'd done the right thing. I'd done the Catholic thing, forgiveness. Let's start again. Cleanliness, epiphany, blah, blah, blah. You know, this could be a, a really marvellous time for everybody. We're all getting older. We're all approaching 40, all 40s. So to me, it was like, oh, this is the way to end it. You know, let's make a record. Let's tour together. You know, let, let's, let, let's, let's look at the light and the beauty of what we did. You know, forget. I forgive you for all that you did. I didn't need to take them back. You know? I mean, I was much better off in every aspect of my life, financially, whatever else, not having those guys around. Um, I mean, my brother, obviously, was, uh, was a big part. I mean, people wanted to see Gene and Jezebel. That's true. As far as the court thing, well, he held my son, then he sued me. So we fought the court case without a lawyer, my wife and I, and, we, and the case was dropped with prejudice because they couldn't. Uh, the judge indicated to their lawyer they would not prevail. Which means basically, uh, they had to drop with prejudice. Oh, I'd sue them. When with prejudice meant that they could never stop me working at Genius Jezebel. They can't bring the lawsuit, the same lawsuit twice. But you can't hang the same man twice, basically. Right. So that's where it ended up. Which they were very bitter about. And I'm like, dude, you're the, <laughs> you're the ones who, you know, pull this done, not me, you know. And then I said to them, oh. Sure, you can have Gene of Jezebel. Give me 15%. I'm worth 50% of Gene of Jezebel right now with Jay. 100% without you. You give me 15% and you can have Gene of Jezebel. So at all times I was, you know, trying to just remove myself from the situation. But no, and the, then again, you know, it's like, what's that analogy when it went, the, the raincoat, when you're a child, you learn that story where oh, yes. the sun and the rain have an argument. And the more it rains on you, the tighter that coat becomes, you know. I was offering the sun, you know. <laughs> yes. Anyway, that's a difficult one, isn't difficult. it? And do you and do you sort of? I mean, it, it. You know, it's the sort of thing that we've all had ups and downs in lives, but that's quite extreme. I mean, were you able to sort of spend a day of your life without this being on your mind? I mean, how does it affect? No, you? never, 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 it's, never, no. It's such a waste. My brother has. I have, you know, six fucking children. Oh, I miss them. They've been sick in their lives. My daughter almost died once. Your brother should be there for you for that. Not fucking <laughs> wailing on, you know, but peace, love, and pussy guys, you know. He's got one son who he never sees, and I've reached out to his son trying to 
make contact with him. Your family, your blood, I mean, you're, you're fighting a, 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 a nine-year-old's battle with a sibling, you know, who's, who's top of the mountain. Who cares? I never did. Yes. Yeah. And so that's where it is. But no, it, it, it caused me an immense grief. And, and it's on totally ongoing. It never ends because they keep doing, pulling mm. these, you know, stunts, coming to play here, booking shows they shouldn't play, you know, using what is now my mark, Gene Loves Jezebel. Um, booking a show under Gene Loves Jezebel then changing the name to Jay after Gene Loves Jezebel. Once the show starts, so that. So they, it's like me selling the Rolling Stones and saying, actually, it's Michael Aston's Rolling Stones. You know? Right. So I have to go for that bullshit. And, uh, and it makes it difficult for me to book any shows. Um, you know, it's... Uh, Yes, absolutely. And how do you, I mean, and obviously LA still agrees with you. I mean, is that sort of the place that you'll, you'll see that you'll, you'll be living for the rest of your life? Oh, I'm 62 now. So I I still have a nine year old. I've been married for 30 years and all our children are our children. So I'm not going to desert my son. I couldn't leave LA. I always want to go back to London. But I made it, I thought public education they could get here against the class system we'd have in London, unless you have money, you know. I certainly didn't want my kids to go to, you know, private schools in England. I mean, I'd loathe those people. Yes. Um, and they have the same here. So I said, well, I'd rather them speak in an American accent. No one's really going to know if, they, if they've got a billion dollars or five dollars. You, know? <laughs> so you just can't tell when you meet an American. You have no idea. You know. Yes. And Whereas you... in England, you can tell quite clearly. Yes, I know. England's a bit, it has some great moments, but some tricky ones. I mean, did you, I mean, one no, thing. I loved England, don't get me wrong. No, no, I mean, I know. I mean, it's, it's, it is fantastic, but there are things that tricky sometimes. But, I mean, the interesting thing is, I've just, you know, I mean, I'm one of those people who just love my rock documentaries, you know, the BBC Four on a Friday night, and there's been films on the go-betweens and the chills and, right. and the slits. And then last year, there was that that amazing one on, on the broth, you know, when the, when the, was it the, when the clapping, when the applause dies, I think it was subtitled. I remember when they were around, because we were rehearsing in there. I can't remember, oh, S-I-R, I can't remember the name of the studio now. Yes. But they were hurting there too, and there'd be a hundred girls waiting outside the city. So you, know, you, haven't, you haven't seen the film that they had you know, they made last no, year? No, no, I haven't. No, I just, because no, again, they were, twin, they were twins as well, weren't they? Um, which was quite interesting. So, I mean, do, I just wondered if you if you had seen it, whether you'd sort of, how, how much that sort of resonated with you, some of their sort of... Dan- I haven't seen it, but I'll watch it. it did, did they fall out? Well, they had a long period of time where they didn't, and then they sort of get back and they make this film, and and I think they've sort of healed a lot of what happened, even though there were some quite sort of messy arguments within the film, which makes you feel quite uncomfortable. I just wondered if, if you would, if 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 somebody could just say, look, by the way, we'll just completely forget the past, move on. Whether you would be able to, with Jay, just be able to say, look. Oh, I've done it three times, though. I mean. I don't want him near my children. I don't want him near my wife. I told my kids if if I die before him and he comes to my funeral, to beat him to a pulp. You know, I don't want him near me. He's caused so much pain in my life. He tried to put me on the street. He's just, you know, he's worked hard to destroy my reputation. He's lied. He's a total sociopath. Okay, he's he's a sick man. So is so are the, the other two guys. 
Well, I won't name because no one knows who they are anyway. So let's let's keep it that way. Yes. But no, they're just they're they're, they're dark, 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 dark. Yes. Um, and um, I, I mean, I, I I I sleep every night very well. I have no guilt whatsoever, you know, of my role on this planet, let alone in that band. You know, I've done no wrong whatsoever, and I've always tried to do the best thing or the right thing. You know. Absolutely. So I can't do any more. I, I don't want the back of my life. I don't care what my brother does. He can. He showed, he's shown what he is. He's quite happily starving to death. I know that for sure. He stood over me with a toolbox. With his friends in that room wanted to crush my head in and said, I'm going to destroy you and your beautiful family. And that was, uh, I looked up and I thought, where the hell did that come from? I did nothing to him. It's all of jealousy. He wants to be like Mike. When I left the band, guess what's the first thing he did? He dyed his hair blonde. What fucking weird is that? He's ch- every girl, I've had three or four girlfriends with long range He's chased after each one of them after I finished with them. That's fucking freak. He's a weirdo. Um, anyway. Yeah. Was... No, I don't want this man in my life, and there's no reunion. Yeah. Okay. And there's no, there's no forgiveness. It's never going to happen. You know? yeah. They could offer me a million dollars to play a show with him tomorrow, and I would say no. Yeah. There's no, there's no, there's no forgiveness. Yeah. And and as, as as we progress into the new year and the new decade, I mean, what uh, creative projects have you got sort of lined up? Well, I've I've written a whole new album. I did a song last year, Roger Rosari, which is a brilliant song, which I'm going to do a video to. I just finished uh, shooting an independent movie, which is going to have my solo work in. Um, so uh, I've, I'm busier than ever I paint you know I nurture my children uh, my I got sons in my son is in Berkeley he's a he's one of the more the biggest most difficult school to get into for hard business school my kids are brilliant they're wonderful you know they have occasional drinks they got parents who adore them so I've been that's a huge success that's bigger than Gino's Jezreel will ever be yes so, so I mean every day of my life is you know I'm not sitting on Facebook all day long, like some people on Twitter. I don't have time for it. Yeah, absolutely. As you find it very hard to track me down. <laughs> very, yes, I know. It was, it was quite, quite good. But, yeah. but that's, fair, that's fair enough. Because, no, what I was going to say, yes, because you have got dates this coming year as well, haven't you? Well, I've got two dates coming up. One in uh, New Mexico. Um, and then I've got another one in Denver a few days later. But most years I've been doing these 80s dates. Uh, but they've gone because of my brother's band touring. That's another story. They basically, you know, robbed me of my income. So uh, it's been difficult. I mean, I've worked in the Jezreel since '97 every year, toured na- na- you know, national tours. They've disappeared forever and suddenly turned up and telling them, telling the world they've been together and they worked. They, they played Portugal once a year. That's the extent of what they've done. You know. Yes. They did a crowdfund to a record. They stole a ton of my what belonged to me, a lot of Polaroids from these famous uh, sessions we did. Uh, and the record is a piece of fucking shit. It is so embarrassing. You know? But in their minds, it's great. But all the fans, uh, I think it's an absolute disgrace. What's it called? Dancing underwater? I would call it droning, you know. <laughs> um, so. The fact is, none of them can dance anyway, I guess, uh, which is kind of weird. Yes. So, um, but and yeah, it, I'm keeping on. I mean, it's, life goes, you know, life will go on. I will play the shows that I can. 
I played Brazil, I played the Philippines, I played Paraguay, Uruguay, Argentina, multiple times. So I played China. So even though people don't see these things, I'm these are wonderful experiences. There's nothing great than jumping on a plane. Yes, absolutely. Meeting your meeting your new band and rehearsing for a week and you know, enjoying their food, you know, being in their environment, getting to learn something of, you know, how how they live. It's wonderful. And you're loved across this planet. May not be that many of them, but it's still an amazing I've been to Hell's Angels bars in Brazil and they know who I am and I can't buy a drink. That's how great it is. You know? <laughs> amazing. So, you, I mean, uh, it's been great. Yeah. And, and sort of. <laughs> but the time outside being away from my brother has been the happiest time of my life. So. Well, yeah, I know. Musically and all aspects of my life. So I don't miss those days. I had far greater adventures and experiences. Not being around that miserable, miserable man. Yes. Well, obviously, it's uh, sort of one of those. The energies weren't quite the uh, weren't going to align, were they? And did you? I mean, I wasn't sure because I haven't followed it. But did you keep in touch with your first wife? No. No. Well, I, I did with my son, but she was married. Uh, I left my first wife. It, 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 she was a wonderful woman. We never had a, an argument. I was young, too young, and I wanted to. You know, see the world, be in the world, be in a rock and roll band. That's all I ever wanted to do. Yeah. You still there? Yeah. So uh, I see, going back to Wales, and I called her one day and I said, you know, I want to be free. I'm sorry, I love you. I want to be free. And that was that. Uh, she went, she then, uh, I don't know if she, I'm not sure if she's married now, but she's been with the same guy ever since. And I know, knew this guy when I was kids, and I said, and I've seen her on occasion, and the occasional. I've gone to Wales, or uh, which is very rarely, or when my father and mother died, for example. Yeah. So I pop in. It was very cordial. There's no bad feeling between either of us. So. Yeah. And did you? I, I mean, was too young. I was just too young. Yes. Well, God, you were very young. I think. You, did you say you were in your late teens when you married? No, it was just like, yeah. which is quite something actually. I was working in a steel mill. The rest of my friends are doing heroin, you know. So, uh, but I was working double shifts. So. I had a house to take care of and a young family as a kid. A lot to deal with when you're 18, you know. And did you... I mean, um, you know, Ian Curtis and I have a lot in common, you know, almost identical you know, lines in terms of, you know, being hooked up very, very young, you know. Uh, but carry on, I'm sorry. I was, go- I was going to say, because last year there was that report that... Um, was it Universal Music kind of had that fire which they had kept quiet and then sort of found that a lot of... Original recordings had been damaged and destroyed. Did you did you sort of right. also find that some of the recordings of Gene Loves Jezebel also get destroyed? Yeah, I heard they did, but uh, unless they were going to do remixes, I mean, the, 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 the most of those recordings would have made it to vinyl or to or to CD or whatever. Yes, there were only real tragedies that you could, and plus those tapes are so old and they were so. I mean, I, met, I remember reading about Jimmy Page saying trying to remaster the Zeppelin, you know, the Zeppelin tapes from London. They were falling apart. It was a nightmare. So uh, maybe they'd redone it all. But I, from from what I understand, I mean, a lot of that stuff would have been uh, salvageable, salvageable anyway. But yes. Who knows? I don't know. It's always it's unfortunate, trick. but I'm not crying over it. 
Oh, that's good. Because no, when I read it, I, just, yeah. I felt a bit heartbroken for, you know, I suppose the artist for some reason, because I just thought, oh, no, that's such a such a shame. I mean, yeah, just, last, uh, just lastly, what would you say or wish someone had said to you, you know, an 18-year-old self starting out kind of in, in the world of music and the creative arts? Well, no one could, my, my father was a ladies' union for like 20, 30 years. Uh, he... He would not know how, how, the world that lay ahead of us. You know, I mean, our lot was essentially get a trade, you know, or maybe go to college if you're lucky. Because that was a better area too. You go to school if you got a couple of A levels, you know. But he would not have known, you know, the, the what we were going into, you know. Um, and you can't make a good business decision when you when no one knows who you are at the time. You know, do you remember the George Michaels? Yes. Uh, episodes yeah. when he was fighting Sony or whatever it was. Well, he had leverage then and he still didn't win. But when you sign your first deal, you're just surrounded by, you know, you know, thieves, essentially. Vampires. Um, so the best you can hope for <laughs> is, uh, you know, making music and making great music and enjoying that. Cause, uh, very, very, very few come out the other end, you know, with a with the big houses and the uh, the money. Yes, uh, I know. No uh, one. I mean, to think the guy. What's the, what's the guy that does that uh, talent show? He's. Oh. Oh, no. I, yes, I know. I can. I can picture his face, which is. Well, I remember this. Someone says he's worth a billion dollars, and McCartney's only worth like twenty or thirty. How can Paul McCartney have less money than this fucking idiot? You know, it's ridiculous. Yes. <laughs> it's absolutely absurd. You consider how much wealth they have generated, you know, and it's their money. They've been, they were robbed more than anyone else. Yeah. But so were we in the 80s. You have to sign what's put in front of you. Otherwise they'll just go, oh, we'll just take another band. This is true. Yeah. No one's fighting. And even if, even if you're a hot band, yeah, yeah the labels will fight over you. And they might give you an extra 10, 20, hundred thousand dollars, but that's nothing, you know, relatively. Yes. And what would you, um, oh. I mean, if you were sort of to sort of like say what your, you know, the top three songs that you think that really was the essence of the band, what would they be? Well, that's a good question. Um, uh, Stephen? Um, I think probably... I have to think, because you're talking about two or three different bands here, because the lineups always changed, and they all did things of merit. Um, I'd say Flame, um, uh, Bruises, I'd say Desire, Sweetest Thing. Not really three songs because even even the the five I just mentioned, they're they're they're, they're they could have been recorded by five different outfits, which they were. The, the players changed often, often, you know. Yes. The finest, I would say, Immigrant is Gina That's the one. Yeah, that's my favorite Gina Chesnut record. And I think I've made better records than that now, but that's my opinion. I made those records for nothing. Love Lies Breeding, Exploding Girl, just great records. People say they sound like Gene Loves Jezebel records. I go, well, go figure. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I was the first guy in the studio to hear the first crack of a drum and the last guy out for every mix. And yeah. the only one all those years. So I never missed, uh, to me, it was crucial. And once we'd finished the records, I'd never hear them again. I would never listen, play them again. They'd be done. On to yeah. the next one, you know. Yes. I mean, do you feel 
you know, I always was up here and found David Bowie sort of fascinating in a way. And the fact that, you know, he often just worked with various people on different projects and different albums. Do you kind of think God, that would have made your life so much easier if you'd been a so, kind of more of a solo artist, you know, recording one album and working with well, you? Well, I mean, I was, I was a solo artist in June of Jezebel, if you really think about it, you know. I mean, I was controlling everything from the artwork, the players, the production. I mean, I, I had a significant other in my twin brother who was a songwriter and a singer. Essentially, I was guiding, you know. And I had no problem going on to my solo records. You know, I knew exactly what I wanted to do. But I guess Bob Bowie is a, is a good example, a good template. You know, um, That's how you should do things. You know, work with new people. You know, try playing, you know, just do a little bit of jazz here and there. Try some, you know, introduce a sax and a cello. You know, we played with saxophone. And trombone. My son's a trombone player too, one birthday. And so and the people loved it. From what I didn't didn't get it. Yes. So it doesn't matter what instrument you play, and you can play a you know a ukulele, it's still it's still the same song. So but yes. It's more challenging. If you keep, if you go into the studio and every time you're gonna make the same you know, drums, bass, guitar, vocal. How much do you? How long will I love you? Then you know, well, that's all you're ever going to get. You know, you, you have to be challenged by it. Yes. It's not challenge, inspired. It's never a cha- It's never a challenge. And did you? I mean, you're, you're inspired. I mean, when you listen to you know to, to mention him again, David Bowie, especially that last album where he realised you know things were not going well. Yeah, that was bizarre. I've never heard that record. But then, you know, lyric, but lyrically, you know, he really deals with the big picture, you know, which is kind of death and leaving the earth. And um, right. I just wondered I if... Thought it was, I, mean, I think it was weird that he made that record. Um, it, it, to me, it, it is beyond bizarre. I mean, if I, if I was dying, I wouldn't want to be messing around in the studio, barely, be, barely being able to stand up. Yeah, I want to be around my family, my children. Um, you know, I'd want to go <laughs> go to a lake or a river in Wales or go, or go back to the sea. I wouldn't be fucking around making music. What is the point? Yes. To be honest, it was, too, it was too dark for me to visit that record. One yeah. of my favorite Bowie records is Low, so go figure. You know, I think that's a beautiful record. Well, that I think was... he'd already covered, covered that, you know. Yes, well, that's that's kind um, of an atmospheric, um, sonic journey, really. That one. So you. Well, I had a walk when I remember, I remember in the eighties. I had a uh, buying the cassette and uh, walking in the snow in West London. It was such a, a, a beautiful experience. It was an incredible experience. Sherlyn yes. Feeling Star. He knows a genius. You know, so. Anyway, absolutely, and that, and I was, I was just going to say, I mean, obviously, you sound like you've still got a lot of creative passion. So, mm-hmm. do you feel that you could still bring out another classic kind of? Album? Oh no, I've I've got some I got some amazing material. I mean, lyrically, sonically, melodically, I'm I don't make bad records. You may not like them, but it, I can I will stand by every song I ever put out. There's no song I'm embarrassed by, beyond emotional love. You know. Um, so, yeah, I mean, I have the material and it's just a question of, you know, getting to record it. But it's ready to go. I have, you know, 20 amazing songs. Some, I mean, it's a couple that I think will knock people out, will actually blow them away. Yeah. Songs of depth, 
lyricism, insights, and older. I've learned some things, you know. How can you live 62 years and not teach someone something, right? Yes. <laughs> and so we, that's where I, I, mean, am. I mean, you're, you know, just going back to that album, Love Lies Bleeding. Bleeding, yeah. yeah. Was that one of your fondest memories of recording and being... Oh, my fondest memory. I love making that record, but I made that record... Uh, it was made in anger, you know. It was made to, at the time, uh, all my brother, my brother and his pals, and uh, were telling me how talentless I was. And I was like, "Oh, I'll show you how talentless. I'll make, I'll write this fucking record in two weeks." And uh, I built a shed in my back garden. We lived in a tiny, tiny little house in West Hollywood. And I found some material. I knocked a little shed up with a little four track, and I basically wrote with my guitar, but of course. A full album in like two weeks. Constantly, and I'd be there all night, and I was driven, driven. If I have no talent, what is this? What is who will survive you? And Love Lies Bleeding is. I named that record one. It it it. Actually, informed of how it was at that time. He was my brother after all, and uh, and betrayal. But it was also my my mother's favorite flower. So that was her favorite flower. So I named it after her. And I couldn't go to her funeral because my daughter was in hospital on on life support. And then all I would read online is, oh, he didn't go to to his fucking mother's funeral. I'm like, well, my mother would say to me, Michael, stay with your daughter. I didn't put that out there. Uh, That's the kind of shit I've had to put up with. Shocking, shocking. My brother's saying, oh, I put my mother in a wheelchair over Gene of Jazz. I'm like, are you out of your mind? All I did is answer the lawsuit. I never went public with what you would, you know, what you're doing. You'll find, you can go the last 20 years of interviews, you'll find not one where I mentioned the conflict at all. Zero, none. What, it was a question of the higher ground. What, you know, the songs, I want, to, I want to be talking about the past. This is where I am now. But anyway, the, my favorite record I ever made is Why Music, Why This, Why Now? The, I just had my first son with my wife and, uh, you know, my American wife. And uh, it was just a magical, magical. We were recording uh, with a guy called Gazer X from the Germ. He produced the Germ. And uh, we made an acoustic record. Um, uh, standing on a top hill, on a, on, a, on a hill studio overlooking the sunset in Los Angeles. And it was an absolute surprise. I did all my recordings in the morning. I really want an acoustic vibe and your voice is always deeper and rougher in the morning. You get that really uh, a gorgeous kind of narrative yes. narration vibe on it. So I love making that record. And I write really quickly. I do Giving Up the Ghost. We wrote, the, we wrote in the studio entirely. Nothing was rehearsed. It was just plug in. Let's play it. Let's see what we got. Um, Exploring Girls. I sat down. We wrote that. That was far more written. And design you know, every word, uh, every nuance. And I work really hard. I have to dissect because these people come to you with the ideas for songs. I'm spending hours saying, "Well, no, we need to lose twenty bars here. We need to move the first, you know, pre-chorus to the front." Production stuff, you know, which I always did in the day with Gene Jazz. But when I would sit down with the producers, be it John Leckie or John Brown, it was me in the room, no one else. Yes. No, no, no. So, anyway, 
Yes. So, so I, I, I just never like being, I never like being portrayed as peripheral, per- peripheral, you know, or incidental, or my least favorite, a passenger. And I think, God, I put more work into that than anybody did. Anyway, enough about that. So. Yes. But the one album we should have a good listen to now, Why Me? Why This? Why Now? Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's a beautiful record, yeah. And the title track, is that the one? Yeah, Avalon SW10, yeah, yeah. It's every word of that of the album. Well, most of the songs I write about somebody or something. Yes. Even if it's a political event or, or my, my feelings about the universe. It's all born of truth. You know? Yes. And I'm, not, I'm not the guy who sits down and writes, you know, Cat Black with the Wizard's Hat. That's not me at all, you know. Um, but it's a beautiful record. It's lovely. It's a lovely, lovely record. Excellent. I'm very proud of it. Yeah. Well... As long as you've got love in your right. heart. As long as you've got love in your heart, you have a hope, don't you? Yeah, I got The only people that dislike me are the former people I played with. Everyone else that knows me has known me for decades. They work with me. They play with me. I can call any one of them, any of the guitar players, bass, drums. I, my biggest problem is choosing who to play with me. We have these two shows. I get emails. Michael, can I play this with you? Can I do that with you? If I need to record something play somewhere I, I have nothing but light and love around me you know so, which you know makes me think why the fuck do i bother with Gina's jazz well beyond the fact that i did so much for it yeah i mean i was happy when i let it go and sometimes i just think ah oh, the hell with it you know let it go burning up doing any memory there was and my brothers destroyed all my pictures and all my memories from my childhood burned everything you know. so i can't even show my kids my pictures when i was a boy you know I don't yeah. want a teenager. I've got nothing, uh, which is, uh, that hurts a lot. Yeah? Yes, absolutely. The horror. You talk about burning records uh, in Universal Records or whatever it was, you know. That's, that's their bonfire. Bonfire vanity, right? Isn't that what they call it? Yes, that's right. All right. That's a, that's a, that's a sour note, but uh, but that's, that's not how I am. You know, I have a wonderful life. I've got a beautiful wife, a wonderful wife, loyal wife, but, Total utter support is to see me through the wars. I got amazing children, and I'm loved. So I got a house. What more can you ask for? You know, yes. not, li- not living on someone's telephone. And that was me in conversation with Michael Aston from Jean Loves Jezebel. If you want to contact me, you can on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, just do at C86Show for some reason. I don't know why. Um, It's always interesting. I just keep it positive as well, by the way. Life's too short. And it's a bit of a tricky year. So, uh, yeah, don't bother me if it's going to be negative. And also, you can find all these interviews on Podbean, Spotify and iTunes. You'll hear lots of interesting chat with bands from that golden decade that was the 80s. Anyway, have a great week. Stay safe.